So one of our 613 commandments is to build a temple to serve God. It's a commandment that was found at the beginning of God's instruction to Moses to build a temple. And we believe that's an ongoing commandment that we're supposed to have a temple to serve God. Not only is there a commandment to build a temple, many of the 613 commandments, in fact, more than 20% of our commandments of the 613 commandments involve the temple or the service in the temple. Central to the temple service was the sacrifices that were offered. There are many, many, many details of sacrifices that were offered in the temple. We have a class scheduled, I think, um, later in the spring for where we're going to talk about the details of the sacrifices. But there were many, many different types of sacrifices that were offered. In addition, lighting the menorah and offering incense. And there were many other commandments um, that involved the temple. So without a temple, we're missing 20% of Jewish law is gone without a temple. There were others that were indirectly related to the temple, laws of ritual purity, um, and other laws that were not directly connected to the temple, don't directly involve, but indirectly involve the temple. And without a temple standing, we're missing uh, more than two-thirds of Jewish law, um, Jewish commandment. The commandments of the Torah are missing today. So we therefore pray every day, many, many times a day, asking God to restore the temple. It's found in our daily prayers. We have um, prayers to restore the temple. Um, we have second. Uh, we have sacri- uh, we ha- we have daily prayers to restore, asking God to restore the temple. Um, in our grace after meals, we have a blessing asking God to restore the temple. Um, every time uh, we have a prayer where we say, May the temple be built speedily in our days. And there are many, many traditions that we have where we ask God um, the various customs that we do, um, invoking um, prayers to ask God to restore the temple in Jerusalem. And indeed, we believe that Moshiach will come and he will redeem us, save us, take us out of our exile, gather the exiles back to the promised land. And one of the main things that Moshiach will do is rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And part of why we pray for the coming of Moshiach, which we do as well, is because along with the coming of Moshiach will be the restoration of the temple in Jerusalem. Today, while we pray for the building of the temple regularly, many, many times every single day, and we have many, many customs to remind us of building of the destruction of the temple, the building of the temple, today Jews once again control the land of Israel. The state of Israel, the country, is run by Jews who control the land of Israel. And the truth is they do have limited sovereignty, limited control over the Temple Mount. Um, After they took control of it in the Six-Day War in 1967, they decided to leave it under Jordanian sovereignty. So technically it's like an embassy that, you know, is sovereign, has its own sovereignty separate from the Israeli government. Um, And there may be some serious political considerations um, for us not to build the temple 
on the Temple Mount today. Notably, the Temple Mount is considered holy to Islam. Um, the two, two mosques stand now on the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And um, it probably, the Muslims would not take kindly, to say the least, if we attempted to um, restore the temple on the Temple Mount. That would involve, of course, destroying those mosques. Um, and uh, in fact, a lot of the Islamic complaints against Israel and wars with Israel are over the um, myth or the claim that Israel is trying to destroy the mosques to build the temple. So for political reasons, it's probably not a good idea that we attempt to build a temple today. And yet, the th theoretical question still remains. Were we to have the political ability to rebuild the temple, would we be able to do so before Moshiach comes? Or do we have to wait for Moshiach to come to build the temple? What would be stopping us, other than political considerations, what would be stopping us from building a temple today on the Temple Mount? Why would we have to wait for Moshiach if we control the Temple Mount? We could just build it ourselves. Now, this is mostly a theoretical question due, due to the political situation. Uh, it would be unwise. Uh, it would start a major war if Israel would attempt to build a temple and who knows what other, how many people would get hurt. Um, presumably not worth it. But it is relevant still because if we conclude that we can and should build a, make attempts to build the temple today, then perhaps we should at least work to gain more control over the Temple Mount, maybe through diplomatic means, trying to come to some agreement with the Muslims. Uh, maybe we could split it somehow or come to some other agreement. Um, if indeed we're we should work to build the temple, then maybe we should make at least diplomatic efforts to try to figure out how we could do it. So the question that we really want to ask today is, would Jewish law, Jewish teachings, allow us and encourage us to build the temple today before Mashiach comes, if we could do so? I have a real quick question. Sure, go ahead, Susan. Why can't we build a temple somewhere else besides the Temple Mount? That's an excellent question. Well, what if we could resolve all the political problems by just choosing a different spot for building the temple? So to understand that, to answer that question, really answer our question in general, let's look at a little bit of a history of the temples. When Moses was on Mount Sinai, God commanded Moses, tell the people to build me the Mishkan, the tabernacle, or the movable temple in the desert. This Moses builds this Mishkan, or more accurately, Betzalel and Ahaliyah lead the building of this Mishkan, of this movable temple, this tabernacle in the desert. This tabernacle lasts for 53 years. It's built the beginning of the second year in the desert. So it's, they're in the desert for 40 years. The temple's in the desert for 39 years. They take it apart and put it back together every time they travel. Um, they traveled from when they left Mount Sinai, 20-something different places, so they would have been taken apart and put back together. Then Moses died in the desert, and they entered the Promised Land, crossed the Jordan, entered the Promised Land, led by Moses' student Joshua, who led the um, who led the um, the conquest of the land of Israel. And so for 14 years that they worked on conquering the land, 
and um, settling the land. The movable temple still stood in a place called Gilgal, which was just over the Jordan, the first place essentially that they landed. When they crossed the Jordan, they settled in Gilgal, which was right over the Jordan, and they left the temple there, um, and probably a big chunk of the camp was based there, while the men and the fighters were capturing the land um, and gradually settling it. However, um, that was only meant to be a temporary temple. After the death of Joshua, the land had been captured and settled. It was now time to build a permanent temple. However, they had a challenge because in the Torah, God says that once you, once you secure the land of Israel and Israel has no enemies whatsoever, then God will choose a permanent place for the temple. However, in the days of Joshua, when Joshua had died, there were still many enemies. Israel had not even captured every Canaanite piece of land that they were supposed to capture. Big chunks of it, most of it, but not all of it. And there were all sorts of nations around them that were threatening them. So it was not ripe to build a temple, but they didn't want to be left with nothing. And so on God's instructions and for, through Moses, they were told to build a temporary temple not yet permanent, but semi-permanent. Anywhere, choose a place, build it wherever you like, and then until God is ready to build his permanent temple. So they chose Shiloh. Shiloh is a town just south of Shechem, still stands today. Um, and they built a temple there in Shiloh. Um, they found ruins that they believe today are the remnants of that temple that stood in Shiloh. So the temple stood in Shiloh throughout the day period known as the Judges, which was a period of 358 years, the temple stood in Shiloh. It was a somewhat long-term temple, standing for hundreds of years, but it was not God's permanent spot for the temple. God had not yet chosen his permanent spot because during this period, it was a period of a lot of um, insecurity. There were a lot of invasions of Israel during this period of the Judges. Um, and in fact, the temple in Shiloh was destroyed after a Philistine invasion during the days of the high priest Eli, um, the days of the, when the prophet Samuel, and uh, the temple was destroyed after 358 years. After that, for a period of 58 years following the destruction of Shiloh, no new temple was built. They had temporary tents that they built where they had the altar, the um, ark itself ended up in a different spot because it had been captured by the Philistines. Uh, but there was no real temple for a period of 58 years. It wasn't until the days of King David that by the instructions of Natan Hanavi, the prophet Natan, that God chose a permanent place for his temple. And that was in the city of Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. Our tradition tells us we did a class on the importance of the Temple Mount um, about a year ago. Our tradition tells us that the Temple Mount is the spot where, uh, from which Adam was created and where Adam first was. It's the spot where Abraham sacrificed his son Isaac or almost sacrificed Isaac. And it is the spot of God's permanent temple. So this spot was chosen by King David and, uh, sorry, chosen by Nathan and Navi in the days of King David. King David himself was told he's not allowed to um, build the temple because he's a man of war. Instead, Nathan, the prophet Nathan told him, your son Solomon, Shlomo, who will be a man of peace. 
he will build the temple. So after David's death, indeed, Solomon built the temple on the spot that David had already set the temple mount in Jerusalem that David had already set for the temple based on the instructions of the prophet Nathan. Once that temple was built, or once the temple mount was chosen by God as the permanent place of the temple, the Torah tells us that once God chooses his permanent place, you cannot build a temple anywhere else. It must be in that spot. So we cannot build a temple anywhere other than that exact place. So Solomon's temple stood for 410 years throughout the period known as the Kings, and it was destroyed after 410 years by the Babylonians, when the Babylonians captured Jerusalem and exiled all the people to Babylon, <coughs> the Buchanezar, <coughs> excuse me, destroyed the temple. After that, for 70 years, there was no temple in Jerusalem. Only after 70 years in the days of, originally Cyrus gave them permission to start rebuilding the temple. They didn't get very far um, before it was stopped. The build, rebuilding was stopped. But in the days of King Darius II, the Persian emperor, um, the Jews began to build the second temple, led by Zerubbabel, who was the leader of the Jews at the time, and um, Yehoshua, the high priest. And this is described in the book of Haggai, as well as in the book of Ezra. The second temple stood for 420 years. Until it was destroyed by the Romans, after the Jews rebelled, Israel had come under control of the Romans, after the Jews rebelled against the Romans, it was destroyed by the Romans about the year 69. So in the years since, since the temple was destroyed, we're almost 2,000 years since the temple was destroyed. Um, in the years since, we've prayed for rebuilding the temple, and we pray many times a day to rebuild the temple, but it has not yet been rebuilt. Did we ever try to rebuild it? <clears throat> so we have one incident indeed that we know we did try to rebuild it. And the Talmud tells us that in the days of the great sage of Yeshua ben Hananiah, permission was given by the Roman emperor to rebuild the temple. The Jews gathered to rebuild the temple only to discover that not long after, they had just begun, and the emperor rescinded the permission to rebuild the temple. Jews were furious. How dare the emperor stop them from building, rebuilding the temple? However, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah, the sage, the leader of Israel at the time, calmed them down and said, be happy that you were spared. He hasn't harmed the people. We could survive without a temple. It's okay. Don't rebel against the emperor. Talmud doesn't give us an exact date for this event, but historians think that this happened in the days of the emperor Hadrian, not long after he became emperor in the year 117. Originally, we know Hadrian was very good to the Jews um, and gave them, granted them a lot of favors, and among them rebuilding the temple. So this happened about 120 or so, give or take that the Jews were allowed to rebuild the temple, it would have been about 50 years after the destruction of the second temple. There was no backlash at the time. The Jews went home quietly on Rabbi Shub and Hanani's encouragement. But just a couple handful of years later, the Jews rebelled against Hadrian, 
Um, there were a lot of anti-Jewish decrees. The Jews rebelled against Hadrian in what was known as the Bar Kochva revolt or Bar Kochva rebellion. Um, and historians think that stopping the building of the temple may well have been one of the factors that led the Jews to rebel against the Romans. Unfortunately, that rebellion was brutally crushed and many, many Jews were killed and the temple was not rebuilt. We don't know if there were further attempts to rebuild the temple. There are Christian records of other attempts by Jews in the next couple hundred years of the Roman rule to rebuild the temple, but we have not found any such records. Our Jewish records don't record any such attempts. So can we rebuild the temple? The truth is that since the destruction of the temple, we haven't had Jewish ownership of the land. There hasn't been any Jewish political control of the land. The land of Israel went from Romans to Byzantines to Arabs, then eventually to, then to the Crusaders, the Mongols, the Ottomans, many people controlled the land of Israel, the British. But it wasn't until 1948 that Jews got control of the land. And it wasn't until 1967 that Jews got control of the East Jerusalem where the Temple Mount is. But today when Jews do have control, um, though it might not be politically wise to attempt to build the, te the temple, can we, from a Jewish perspective, from a halachic perspective, from perspective of Jewish law, can we rebuild the temple today? Should we rebuild the temple today? Presumably if we can, we should make whatever attempt we can, we, we, we should at least attempt to. But should we attempt to do so today? So some suggest that we cannot build the temple today since we are all tamay or ritually impure. Important part of Jewish law is the laws of Tumah and Tahara. In certain instances, a person can become ritually impure. When they are ritually impure, they're forbidden from going to, from going to the temple or on the temple mount and forbidden from eating sacrifices or performing service in the temple. How does one become ritually impure? So we, I hope to do a class in a couple of weeks, right after Passover, about the laws of ritual purity and ritual impurity. The laws largely don't apply today because we don't have a temple. Um, so we don't really keep those laws today. They're not really relevant. Um, but if we can become ritually impure through various ways, including touching a dead rodent, touching meat of an animal that was not sacrificed in accordance with Jewish law, um, a woman who gets her uh, menstrual cycle becomes tame. Um, even a man who masturbates becomes tame. Um, so there's many different ways a person can become tame. Now, for most forms of tuma, when we become ritually impure, we can fix that very easily by going to a mikveh. A person immerses themselves in a mikveh, which is a pool of water that, where the water flowed there on its own without any human intervention. Um, then they become tahar, they become ritually pure. And then they'd be allowed to go to the temple and offer sacrifices. However, there is one type of tuma of ritual impurity that we have no solution for today. And that is if someone came in contact with the, with the dead, with a dead body. And that would be either by being in the same building as a dead body, which probably happens every time you walk into a hospital that has a morgue, or if you're near somebody a loved one who died, or going to a cemetery, 
right? If you're at a funeral, you're in the same room as a dead body, um, going to a cemetery. In any of those instances, a person becomes tamay, ritually impure, <coughs> by way of a dead body. Now, in order to become tahor, to become cleansed from this impurity, from the dead body, um, the only way to do so is one must be sprinkled by sp with spring water mixed with ashes of a red cow prepared in a specific way. Last week in the second Torah that we had taken out and we spoke about it last Sunday, um, we have, we, the Torah discussed the, the laws of this red cow um, that has to be prepared in a very particular way. And then those ashes were mixed into water and that had to be sprinkled on the individual. So we don't have red cows or ashes of the red cow today. We have no way to make ourselves tahor, ritually pure, once we're in contact with the dead. Everybody today has been in contact with the dead virtually. Uh, everyone's been to a funeral, a cemetery, had loved ones that died. Uh, we've all been in contact with the dead. So we're all tame, ritually impure, without the ability to make ourselves tahor, without the ability to purify ourselves. So some would argue that therefore we cannot build a temple. You can't even go on the temple mount when we're ritually impure. We have no way to purify ourselves till we find this red cow and prepare it properly. So what do we do? How do we build? Can, we can't build the temple. So the truth is that this ritual impurity is not a reason not to build the temple. And that's because the Talmud tells us that our oral tradition says that Tuma Hutra Betzibur. If most of the Jewish community is Tamei, is ritually impure, then we are allowed to go into the temple and serve in the temple while we are ritually impure. If majority of the community is ritually impure. In fact, we're unable to prepare the red cow with the, and create the ashes without a temple. So we'd have to build the temple first in order to even create this red cow, we'd have to build the temple while we are Tamei, while we're ritually impure. And if most of the community is Tamei, we are allowed to do so. So the fact that we are ritually impure because we've come in contact with the dead, um, though it would be a problem once the temple is built and would have to go through the purification process, but we are able to build the temple and serve in the temple so, and so long as, and do the service, so long as majority of the community is Tamei, is ritually impure. So that is not a reason not to build a temple. No, quite a question. Sure, go ahead. When you say, when you say the majority of the, of the community, does that mean the majority of all the Jews? Of all Jews alive today, yes. But there are a number of other halachic challenges or challenges in Jewish law that we would face if we tried to build the temple today. In addition to our political ones, um, there's some serious halachic problems. What are they? So let's do them. Let's look at a couple one by one. The first problem we have is we have no Jewish king today. Jewish sources, based on the Talmud, imply, seem to imply that in order to build a temple, we would first have to have a Jewish king ruling over Israel. Without a Jewish king, we would not be able to build a temple. That is why the permanent temple built in Jerusalem was not able to be built until the days of King Solomon, until there was a king. Now, there were two kings before King Solomon. There were King Saul, but King Saul's reign was very, very short. 
he was rejected by God due to some um, mistakes that he made or misdeeds that he did. Um, David wanted to build a temple, was not able to do so as a man of war. So Solomon was the first king who had the opportunity to build the temple. And our oral tradition tells us that we need to first build the temple, first have a king before we can build the temple. Now, the truth is, the second temple was built without a Jewish king. There was no king at the time. There was an emperor, um, a Persian emperor, but there was no Jewish king at the time the second temple was built, um, which would contradict that law. Um, but we believe that perhaps or presumably the second temple was built on the instructions of prophets at the time to, though there was no king, they were told to build the temple anyway. Were a prophet to tell us to do so, uh, we'd be able to do so. But otherwise, Jewish law on its own would not allow for us to create our own exception. We would first need a Jewish king. In the days of the Emperor Hadrian, when they attempted to rebuild the temple in the days of Rabbi Shua ben Hananya, there also was no Jewish king, but likely they may have felt, and there was no prophets then either, but likely they may have felt that they were not building a new temple, just rebuilding the one that had been destroyed only 50 years prior. Today, though, we have no Jewish king. Now, there is some debate in Jewish works in halacha, whether a democratically elected Jewish government as what we have today in Israel, would qualify, or we actually need a monarch with the title with the title of a king. So there's some debate um, as to whether we would need an actual monarch or not. Um, and if we would need a monarch, could we choose anyone, or would they have to be from the house of David? We know the house of David is the permanent royal house of Israel. We don't know definitively, when there are many people today that claim to be from the house of David, but it'd be very hard to prove uh, that any particular individual is from the house of David. Um, regardless, it is clear that the government today in Israel, though led by Jews, would not be considered the monarch the Torah is talking about because it doesn't, the Israeli government today does not follow the Torah. Israel's current government, though led by Jews, is secular. And although there are religious Jews in the government, the government is a secular government, does not follow Torah law, does not feel itself bound by Torah law. In fact, Israeli law is based on a mix of British common law and Turkish law that preceded the Jewish state, uh, not Torah law. So since it's a secular state that does not follow Torah law, um, it definitely doesn't qualify as the Jewish leadership um, that we would need in order to be able to build the temple. So therefore, we would need to wait for a religious Jewish government to come um, to get elected in Israel, or perhaps more likely, we'd need to wait for the coming of Moshiach. Moshiach will be a monarch who will lead Israel, and everyone will recognize his reign of Israel, and he will lead Israel according to God's law. So that's one challenge. If we got a religious government in Israel somehow, the majority of Israel became religious and decided to vote in a religious government, um, <clears throat> would we then be able to build, and somehow we resolve the geopolitical challenges, would we then be able to build the temple? 
Probably not. Because we still have a number of other challenges to building the temple. It's been 2,000 years almost since we've had a temple in Jerusalem. And many of the details of the temple have been long forgotten. Most importantly, the place of the temple, the place where the temple stood, was very exact. It wasn't just build the temple anywhere on the temple mount. The place had to be the exact right spot. At the, cent at the center of the Holy of Holies stood the Evan Shtiyah, the foundation stone that we're told is the foundation stone of the, of the universe. Everything was created from that, starting with that stone. It stood at the center of the Holy of Holies. We don't know where that stone is or where that spot is. The altar itself, we're told, stood in the spot where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. We don't know where on the Temple Mount that spot is. It has to be in the exact spot. Now, historians debate where on the Temple Mount. We have a lot of descriptions of the Second Temple, probably more than any building from that classical period. Um, we have many descriptions in Jewish sources. We have some Roman and Greek descriptions um, of the Temple. We have a lot of description of the Temple, a lot of detail, including measurements, where things were, how big they were, a lot, a lot of detail um, of the Temple. And yet, historians debate where exactly on the Temple Mount the Temple would have stood. There's been some archaeological digs on the Temple Mount, mostly in the 19th century. Um, archaeological digs on the Temple Mount were stopped over 100 years ago um, at the beginning of World War I. Um, and the Arabs haven't allowed any digs on the Temple Mount since. Even if we were to dig on the Temple Mount, it's very rare that archaeology can find details that prove beyond any doubt where the temple stood, strong enough proof that would stand up in a court of law. So we don't really know where the temple was. And there's actually historians have various theories as to where on the temple mount the temple stood. Now the truth is, even when they built the second temple, only 70 years after the first one, the Talmud tells us they were not 100% sure where the temple should stand and where the altar should be built. At the time, they had three prophets that were there when they built the second temple, Chagai, Zachariah, and Malachi. And the Talmud says these three prophets were able to confirm for them the proper place to build everything. Presumably, when they attempted to build the temple in the days of Rabbi Shul ben Hanania, 50 days, um, the days of the Emperor Hadrian, 50 years after the second temple had been destroyed, um, Presumably, it was soon after the destruction, so people still remembered where everything had been. Very possibly, um, ruins still remained, based on which they could know exactly where things were. The stone buildings, the stone altar, uh, perhaps remnants of it still remained. They would have known exactly where it was. Today, we don't have that ability. We certainly don't know exactly where the temple stood and where the altar stood. So we would need to wait for prophets to appear who can tell us exactly where the temple stands on the temple mount. Another challenge that we face is, who would work in the temple? The Torah tells us that only Kohanim, male descendants of Aaron, can work in the temple. Now, we all know today, many people who are Kohanim claim to be male descendants of Aaron. 
we generally take their word for it. If somebody walks into the synagogue and says, I'm a Kohen, we have a special reading the Kohen gets when we read the Torah. Someone says, I'm a Kohen. We take their word for it. Sure, we'll give you that reading. No, no problem. So generally, we take their word for it when someone says they're a Kohen. But we did not always take their word for it. When the temple stood, in order for a Kohen to serve in the temple, they had to be certified as a Kohen. Claiming to be a Kohen was not good enough. You needed to be certified. There was a special Kohanic court that would certify Kohenim. And you had to have them certify you as a Kohen. How did you get certified as a Kohen? Well, you'd have to bring your father's certificate, proving that your father is a Kohen, and then bring witnesses to testify that you are your father's son, and also that your mother is someone who is permitted for a Kohen to marry. There are certain individuals, such as a divorcee, that a Kohen is not allowed to marry. And if a Kohen does so, the children through such a union are not considered Kohen. So you would have to bring evidence before the court and then the court would certify, once you did bring evidence, the court would certify that this individual is a Kohen. And you were not able to serve in the temple before you brought that certification. Now, since the destruction of the temple, we have stopped certifying Kohenim. So anyone today who comes and claims to be a Kohen, we call them a Kohen, but their halachic status is called Kohane Chazaka, or presumed Kohenim. Anyone today who claims to be a Kohen is a presumed Kohen, but not a proven Kohen. We have no proven Kohenim. Without a proven Kohen, we have no one who can serve in the temple. We'd have to wait for a prophet to show up who can tell us exactly who is a Kohen based on God's word. A further challenge that we have is the lack of certain items that we would need for building the temple. For example, for the Kohanim to serve in the temple, they have to wear certain special clothing. Some of those clothing need to be dyed, they were made of wool, linen, most of the clothing. Some of those clothing had to be dyed with special color dyes, blue dye, purple dye, red dye, you got to know how to make the dye. We haven't made these dyes in many, many years. For example, the blue dye or the techelet, we know, came from a fish or a snail called the chilazon. We don't, we haven't produced the blue dye for almost 2,000 years. We were supposed to have it on our tzitzit, but we stopped because we didn't know how to make the dye anymore. We don't even know which animal it comes from. Now, there have been various theories that have been advanced in the last hundred years or so um, of various squids, snails that possibly can be the chilazon, um, and various theories as to how we can use their blood to make the blue dye. Um, there are, and we did a class on this a couple months ago, on exactly, is does the blue dye exist? Can we find it? What is it? Um, there are currently three widely used or widely acclaimed blue dyes from three different animals, one squid and two snails, um, that are often used, uh, that could be used to make this blue dye, each with their own techniques of how to make it. There's definitely no consensus ever reached as to how the original blue dye was made, what it was made from and how it was made. Similar problem with the purple dye, 
which we know was also made from the same animal, from the chilazo, as well as the red dye, which was made from a worm called a tolat that somehow produced the red dye. So we don't know how these dyes were produced. Since we don't know how they were produced, we would need a prophet to tell us exactly how to make the right dyes for the Kohanic clothing in order to be able to serve in the temple. So in conclusion, for all of these above reasons, we have no king or Jewish government that follows Torah in the land of Israel. We have no, um, we don't know the exact spot of the temple. We don't know, we don't have any certified Kohanim today. And we don't know how to make some of the things needed for the service in the temple, such as the various dyes for the Kohanic clothing. For all of those reasons, we are unable to build a temple today. Now, the truth is there were some scholars over the last 150 years who have argued that we should build a temple today. And they wrote books explaining, answering some of the challenges, showing that those challenges, there's ways around them, ways to get around some of these challenges. Most notably in the late 19th century, there was a great rabbi in Eastern Europe, Reb Tzvi Hirsch Kalischer, who wrote a book called um, Drishas Tzion, um, where he explained how we could get around a lot of these, how he believed we could get around a lot of these halachic problems. And we could, if we only had the right to, if we only had the political ability to, we could build the temple today. More recently, the former chief rabbi of Israel, Rabbi Shlomo Goren, was a big um, proponent of working toward building the temple today. There are a handful of such scholars, even in Israel today, that believe we can have halachic workarounds, illegal workarounds for all the above-mentioned problems and build the temple today. Yet the consensus among Jewish scholars is that even without our political challenges to building the temple, because of all of our the challenges mentioned above, we would be unable to build the temple today. Even if we had full access to the Temple Mount, we would be unable to build the temple today until we had a Jewish monarch or religious Jewish government, and we would need a prophet. We are certain that when Moshiach comes, Moshiach will be both the um, Moshiach will be both the uh, monarch that will lead Israel um, according to Torah law, and along with Moshiach, we spoke about this last week, Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet will return, and he will be a prophet. He'll be able to resolve all of those unknowns. Where exactly to build it? Who are the Kohanim today? What dyes to use? All of those unknowns can be resolved when Eliyahu Hanavi, when Elijah the prophet returns with the coming of Moshiach. So we therefore pray for Mashiach to come very soon and so that we can rebuild the temple and fulfill the many commandments associated with it. So we are unable, in addition to the political challenges of building the temple, the Arabs wouldn't be too happy, but or the Muslims won't be too happy. But in addition to that, even if they were out of the way, we still would not be able to build the temple today because of the many halachic challenges to building the temple. Rather, we pray for the coming of Moshiach, that Moshiach comes soon, 
and allow us to, and then he will resolve all of those problems along with Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, will be able to resolve all of those challenges. Of course, when Moshiach comes, the political issues will fall away too because the entire world will recognize Moshiach, including the current Muslims. And so they will be overjoyed to destroy their mosques and allow us to build the temple in their place. Now, before I conclude, I just want to mention one other point that really should be addressed in a class of its own, but it's important relevant to our subject today. Although we cannot build the temple today, because Jewish law would not allow us to do so, there are some that advocate we should still go to the Temple Mount in order to pray on the Temple Mount. And many people do go on the Temple Mount. In fact, some Israeli Politicians have gone on the Temple Mount, famously Ariel Sharon, um, which triggered a lot of violence. But there have been many who have gone to the Temple Mount. There's a movement in Israel of Jews attempting to go up to the Temple Mount to assert Jewish rights to the Temple Mount. Now, this is really an issue that deserves its own class. But to be clear, according to Jewish law, and when you go up to the Temple Mount, there is a sign posted in front of the entrance that says, according to Jewish law, it is forbidden to go onto the Temple Mount. And so then that's because as we spoke earlier, according to Jewish law, we are all tame, we are all ritually impure. Now, while it's not relevant to us, if there is no temple, outside of the Temple Mount, it's really not relevant. But the rule is that somebody who is Tameh, who's ritually impure, is forbidden from going on the Temple Mount. And so therefore, because of that, Jews are really anyone who is Tameh, who's ritually impure, should not be going on the Temple Mount. And so we therefore discourage people from going on the Temple Mount. That's the reason for the signs posted at the entrance, that Jewish law forbids entrance to the Temple Mount. Um, we can't stop the Muslims from going up, but definitely Jews should not go up. And although some people argue that there are political reasons to go to assert the Jewish connection to the holiest place in Judaism, the Temple Mount remains, we believe, the holiest place in Judaism today. We believe God's presence is still stand there, at the, is still stays there at the Temple Mount. We cannot go on the Temple Mount. The closest we get to is the Western Wall in front of the Temple Mount. Not that the Western Wall Plaza is holy. It's the Temple Mount that's holy. But we can't go on the Temple Mount because Jewish law forbids us from doing so while we are tummy. So therefore we pray that very soon Moshiach will come um, and we will rebuild the temple. Our sages say that the third temple will not even need to be built. It will appear from heaven, built by God. And there's some unclarity, some places it seems that we will build it ourselves, some places it appears that um, it will come built by God, we don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and find out. But regardless, we pray many times each day for Moshiach to come and for the temple to be rebuilt so that then we can restore all the temple service the way it was. Until the coming of Moshiach, we are forbidden from building the temple or even going on the Temple Mount, but we do pray for him to come very soon and the, for God to allow us to restore the temple.